I want to transition. We are uh, in the, the second of four parts of a Christmas message, and uh, even, uh, even the Grinch among us can benefit from uh, coming back to what Christmas is, is all about. So I want to kind of open up this morning by taking back to a couple years ago. My family and I had the chance to go to Yellowstone National Park, wherever that is, Wyoming maybe, I don't know where it is. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we were on a long trip. I forget what states we were in, all right? Um, and so we're at Yellowstone, and the last thing I expect to do is in the cafe or whatever at the Yellowstone Lodge there, um, run into people that I knew or that were from this area. And my daughter happened to be wearing a, a sweatshirt from a local college. So someone across the room came over and they're like, hey, are you from Lancaster? And they're like, what in the world, like in Yellowstone? You ever have that experience where you're somewhere where you didn't expect to run into somebody and you still don't know who they are? Like they were from Marietta maybe and we were from, from our part, but it's like, wow, that's really funny that, that we, and, and immediately you know what happens because you have those experiences. You have a connection with someone because when you're in a foreign place, whether it's you're overseas and you hear your own tongue being spoken for the first time in a week or two or you're in a place like I am in Yellowstone or you go to a business meeting and you meet someone who graduated from the same school you did or who used to grow, grow up in your hometown and you begin to have a connection that comes, right? You know that is the reality. And those people in the room are people you just, for whatever reason, rightly or wrongly, you kind of instinctively trust them a little bit more. Like I, I would, if I needed to get up and leave whatever, leave my wallet on the table with a couple from Marietta, I might have done that because we had a short conversation. And well, you're from my area, you wouldn't rip me off. Now, I didn't do that because I don't think I would, but you know what I'm saying. There's an instinctive little bit more of, of trust that you give to people who actually share something in common with you. Now, the same is true, I would argue, for the opposite of that. When you run into someone, you have nothing in common with them at all. You don't even, you can't relate to them, you can't resonate. Their backstory is so different than yours, and they're not connecting with you at all. There's a distance and a disconnect, and a like, man, we are so different. You come from a different economic background, you come from a different family background, you, don't, you didn't even grow up near, I mean, we, I'm not, I kind of want to, but... And the reason I bring that up is sometimes, without necessarily thinking about it, our relationship with God can kind of feel a distance like that. Like, God is so different from us. He's so foreign to us. His bigness and universality and sovereignty, and if you've been in church, we use big words sometimes to describe God, omni-words, omnipresence, omnipotence, omniscience. An all-knowing, all-powerful creator God is so different than me with my weaknesses and my failures. And this is what we talked about last week in the series that, as theologians would call it, that's the transcendence of God. That's the otherness of God. He is big. I tried to convince you last week that Jesus is fully God, and he is still fully God in the flesh. But the story around Christmas is not just that God came, but that God came in flesh and actually came near and became one of us and actually became like us, became like the person that you run into at your meeting or you run into at Yellowstone where you look across the room and you're like, I could trust you because you actually look like me. You talk like me. You've been where I've been. All of a sudden, I have an instinctive connection and trust because God who was far is now near. God who was transcendent is now imminent. The one who is distant has now come down to human flesh, and I see him, and I might even trust him. This is the beauty and the gift of Christmas. Jesus Christ, that great miracle, of the incarnation we call it, around Christmas time. And I want to talk this morning around 
what it means that Jesus came in human flesh. I want to try to convince you of three things this morning. First, I want to say that it matters, it helps us, that Christ's humanity helps us, first of all, know who we really are. And it secondly helps us have hope for the future. And thirdly, cope with struggles in the present. I want to try to convince you of all three, that Christ's humanity helps you know who you really are, gives you hope for the future, and actually helps you cope with the struggles in the present. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2, where in verses 1 to 11 is our text. Philippians is a small little letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the early church as they were trying to figure out um, you know, what they do and how they organize and what, what they do from here. And it's in the... Um, the right two-thirds of your Bible. If you don't own a Bible, that Bible in the pew is our gift to you, by the way. Okay? We'd love to have you take that home with you. But Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11 is what I'm going to read again. That's the scope of our passage. I'm going to start with the first four verses. Uh, here, Paul writes, he says this, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love and being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I'm going to pause it there just for a second. Last week I talked about it in more depth, and today just a quick stop there before we keep going, that Paul is opening up his story here and saying to the church, church, you should be about unity and selflessness. Unity around who Christ is and selflessness and how you relate to others. And that actually, it's almost like, as I tried to say last week, almost like Paul had such a big idea in his mind about unity and selflessness, because we, we mess each other up so much, we are so painful to one another, that if you really think about it, can we really ever be fully united to this degree? Can we ever really be that selfless with all the things that we do to one another? Can we really ever be that way? It's almost like Paul is looking for an illustration to grab a hold of to say, this actually can work. This actually can actually work. You can actually be more selfless than you ever thought you could be. You actually could be more unified than you ever thought you could be, especially with your in-laws, especially with your family, especially with people who have hurt you in the past. There actually is something possible here for you. In order to give us the best illustration you could of what does unity and selflessness look like, I think he went right to the incarnation, right to when Jesus came, what we celebrate at Christmas time, God coming in the flesh. And so he gives us this incredible illustration in verses 5 to 11. And I'm going to read it again, and I want to comment about verse 7 in particular this morning. He says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Okay? Now, Last week, we talked about verse 6, verses 5 and 6, but in particular verse 6, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And we talked there about how I tried to convince you last week that Jesus is fully God. He hasn't given up any of his deity or divinity in coming to earth. This week, I want to talk about verse 7. Again, look at that with me. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. 
Let's pull that verse apart a little bit. He says, made himself nothing. Some of your translations might say, but emptied himself. It depends on what your translation is. And, um, and theologians across the years have always kind of asked the question, emptied himself of what? Almost if you imagine a cup full of whatever you drink in the morning, I drink. I'm a pretty exciting early morning drinker. I, well, if I go out to eat, I'll ask for a solid cup, tall cup of straight up water, no ice like room temperature water, which I don't think it's possible to get more plain than that. But if you imagine my plain cup of water, no ice, no lemon, please, okay, stop with the lemons. Either get lemonade or get water. Don't get watered down lemonade. Can I get an amen? We don't do that a lot. Can I get an amen on that one? Okay. No, yeah. So uh, my tall glass of water, my boring water, no lemon or ice. If you could imagine the idea of emptying it out, some people have said, well, what was in Jesus that he emptied? Like if he emptied himself out, he has to now be devoid of or empty from whatever was in there. And uh, I get it conceptually, but it's not actually the way to think about Jesus' uh, humanity. You can, the, this is simply a metaphorical, that he emptied himself of his pride, if you will. Think of it another way. Instead of a cup being emptied, think of a young man pursuing a young woman looking for her hand in marriage, ultimately. And as he pursues this woman over and over and over again, there's a desire to, you could say, he's emptying himself of love for her. Like, he's emptying himself in the pursuit or chase of her. And I would ask you, does he ever run out of love for her? Of course, the answer is no, but yet you would still describe him. We wouldn't use these terms, but you could understand that we could say he's emptying himself in the pursuit or chase of her, that he's putting other things to the side because his ultimate aim is her and her affection and her heart. And we could use the same term to describe him. He's emptying himself so that setting everything else aside in his great humility, he's saying she's the most important thing, the object of my affection. That's the idea here, that Jesus emptied himself of that pride that says, I don't need to become human to do this work. He put all that aside and chased us down. It's not that he emptied anything in the sense of got that out of the cup. It's that he is continuing to pour himself out in his affection for. Okay, That's the idea. Now it goes on, taking the very nature of a servant, or depending on your translation, it could say taking the form of a servant and then being made in human likeness. But the idea of taking the form of a servant actually is this language that means from the inside out you look like. Now, some people would say, well, isn't that just saying he, he took the form of or he had the nature, but he wasn't really, wasn't really human, you know, just kind of looked like? And I would argue, no, that, again, the language suggests this, that from the inside out he had the very nature of humanity. Some of you later this afternoon will watch football, and we'll have either a good or bad experience with that, depending on how your team does. And some may not watch football, and that's totally, totally fine. You may be better people than the rest of us who do. But regardless, if you've um, ever watched the game, you know that there are certain people uh, on the field who rarely show up on the field, and they do, do just one thing. They just try to kick the ball from one end of the field to the other, and they're the punters. They're the, usually the skinniest people on the field who look like they will get absolutely trucked if someone hits them. Okay? So the idea of the punter, and every now and then you hear the commentators talk about punters, punters who actually go in for a tackle are unusual. Like punters, it's almost as if there's like 51 people on the team and then there's two kickers. Like they're, they're over here. Are you football players? We don't know. You just kick the ball. They're just kind of separate from. And every now and then you hear the commentators say, 
man, I love that punter because whatever. He came from Australian rules, rules football, and he just puts his head in the mix, and you see this guy running down the field, and he will lay his body out to tackle somebody. Very unusual. And they'll say, it's almost like he's a football player. <laughs> yeah, almost. And what he's saying is, like, inside of the body of that punter is the nature of a football player, even though we, we all know he's not. He's only the punter. <laughs> but actually... You know, I'm going to give it to him. He is. He has the very nature of, he's taking the very form of a football player. Like, he has that in him, and that's the idea of this, that in the very heart of who Jesus is, he has that very nature of humanity. He is, in fact, human, fully human. It's just a very strange, strange concept, because you have to ask the question if you're thinking, like, could Jesus be fully human and yet without sin? This is a major problem. How in the world can Jesus be human and be without sin? If you're thinking in the room or listening online later, you're thinking about this, is it really possible? Or do we just say, well, he was as close to human as possible, but he wasn't actually human. He was something close to us. Or actually, is he human? Because if he actually is human, then who he is tells us very much about who we are. Another way to ask this question is this. What's under this question is this one. That is, what actually is the essence of humanity? Or what does it actually mean to be a human? What does it actually mean to be human? Now, to try to illustrate this, I want to help you out with a little bit of something, Greg. I'm going to ask you if you can come up here. Um, I want to give to you one of my old undershirts. Did you oh, yeah. wash it? No, I didn't even wash it. There wasn't as much response to that as I thought. Okay, here's, here's an old undershirt. Um, I haven't actually worn this one for a while. I often wear undershirts. It's a helpful thing for me, and that's about all I'm going to tell you about that. All right, moving on quickly. So this white undershirt is here. Now, I will also tell you that what I have in here is a bottle of ketchup, okay? And to get the juice out of the ketchup, yeah, it's coming, baby. Oh, hold it. You hold it. That you know what's going to happen if we take the red ketchup and put it on this, this red or this white. Oh, shoot, sorry. Do we have a cleaning lady? Okay. Um, <laughs> That's a bummer right there. That's going to leave a mark. All right. So let's say I'd, oh, shoot, got that on the thing. Wipe, I could, I'm going to wipe it up with that. Yep, clean that up. That never happened. We actually have a couple stains there already. Yeah, we're good to go. Okay. So now we can, oh, that's a mess still. Look at that. Oh, I'm going to do this. Otherwise, you're going to get it on your shirt and the kind of Christmas colors, Greg. Yeah. All right. So here's the deal. Our, our reality, our experiences, we often, well, it kind of looks like a turtle. That looks, that kinda, that's kind of neat, you know? It's pretty solid. should do this. Anyway, all right. Our, that's really funny. Fundraiser. It is, here. yeah. Our experience is that it's, we're, we're given a shirt to wear when we're born. Like, we're given uh, our first clothes, still ketchup on my hand. Our first clothes, if you can imagine, have this stain on them. Our, our onesie has this stain on it of, of this red stuff that I'm going to call sin, and it's been put on this white shirt. And when I look at myself in the mirror, if this is the only undershirt that I have, and I put it on and I look at myself in the mirror, I think immediately, this is the nature of undershirts. Like, this is how they're all made. This is all I've been wearing since I've been a kid. If this is all that I'm used to, this is all that I see, and this is all that I think is reality. Now, here in this space, you know, this isn't the way the designer, jockey, made this 
shirt. Like they didn't make it this way, but my experience with it made it this way. But if I'm given this as a little kid and I, again, grow up and this is what I experience, it is very difficult for me to think that it's possible that there's a clean white undershirt out there. So how is it possible to be human, fully human? Like if you don't have a shirt like this, I don't know if I trust you. Because we all have these. Like this ketchup marks all of us. So how can you be human without this? To which I think Jesus says, thank you, Greg. Appreciate that. I think Jesus says, listen, you weren't made like this. This isn't the nature of humanity. You weren't made for sin or weren't made with sin. You were made very differently. And it's almost as if in the, I don't know what to do with this now, in the righteousness of God, there we go, let's see if that will work. If it doesn't, that could go badly. Don't touch it. In the, in the righteousness of God, it's almost as if God is saying, you, you all have these undershirts on, but I'm going to put something new over top of you, and that is Christ's righteousness. I'm going to put a shirt on over top and cover, and now when people look at you, you're not going to know if the undershirt I'm currently wearing has this stain or doesn't. People will see you through the eyes, the righteousness of God. What Jesus has taught us when he came to the cross is that humanity is not defined by the ketchup on the shirt. Humanity isn't defined by the sin that you and I have. Humanity, the essence of humanity, is the image of God in man. The essence of your humanity is that God's image is pressed and stamped on you. That is the essence of humanity. The essence of humanity, that Jesus could be fully human, is absolutely true. Because what it means to be human is to be made in God's image first. The ketchup comes later. But you are first made in God's image. So when you look at yourself in the mirror and see the ketchup stain shirt, which we all have, that is not how you were made. You and I, when we experience sin, we experience less than humanity, not the fullness of humanity. Jesus has come in the fullness of humanity. He has come before sin and without sin. Adam, for example, before he sinned, was fully human. Sin isn't a full expression of humanity. It's a lesser expression of humanity. And so Jesus has come as he walks the planet to say, I am fully, fully human. And in that humanity, I want to give to you a hope that there is something more that exists. That when you look at yourself in the mirror, instead of telling yourself, you know, all undershirts look like this. No, they don't. No, they don't. And when you see one that doesn't, it doesn't mean they're, they're different. In fact, it means this is how they were designed to be, which gives us hope for the future. Because when Jesus came in the fullness of his humanity, what that means is the fullness of my humanity is then saved. In other words, any mark that I have, any struggle that I have in the past, anything that I've done, there is nothing, nothing in my past, in your past, in anyone's past, there's nothing in any of our pasts that can keep Christ's sacrifice from covering everything, right? Like there's nothing in our past that can keep Christ's sacrifice from covering everything because he's fully human. And so the fullness of our humanity is saved, not just part of it, not just part of our humanity is saved, not just the good parts that were kind of good and half bad, but not totally bad, not bad like that, but the fullness of our humanity is saved. And that's where it gives us hope for the future, that everything that we have ever done, thought of, conceived of, can be fully saved by the goodness of God who came in Christ in full humanity. Now, 
with that being said, I also want to say this. It gives us, I said, I want to try to convince you of three things. Who you are, hope for the future, and finally this. Um, help with the present struggles. In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, read this in verse 16. The author there is saying, We do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet was without sin. I want to focus on this single word here, sympathize. That word in the, the Greek means that my heart feels what your heart feels. When you feel that pain, my heart feels that pain. You have friends like this, people you call when you get dumped, people you call when you are struggling with sorrow and pain, and people you call when you think you've been wronged, or people you connect with on social media, you're texting in your group chats, people who can sympathize with you and can feel in their heart what you feel. And this is what we see God doing, that, that God, through Christ, is able to sympathize and feel in his heart what you feel in yours. It's a pretty powerful, powerful concept. That it's not that God is just transcendent and out there, but that in his imminence and his closeness and the fullness of his humanity, he has said, I want to, I want to come that I can feel what you're feeling. That is what Christ's humanity does for us and does for you and does for me. Now, a couple of questions I want to wrap it up. First question is, who do you think you are? You can say that a couple of ways. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? So I'm going to say it this way. Who do you think you are? By that I mean, who, who do you think you are? When you, when you look in the mirror, who, who, do you th- who do you think you are? What do you see? Because if you're constantly looking in the mirror and seeing this, this is what you think you are. This is what you think the fullness of humanity is. And maybe the best we can do is maybe turn it around and cover it. And it's not as bad on the backside as it is on the front. And so certainly if I just let people see the back, they won't think, but this really is, is who I am. And, and I, I ask you, who do you think you are? Because this isn't who you are. The struggle, the pain, the trouble that, that you have caused or has been caused upon you is not who you are. Jesus came in the fullness of his humanity to say what it means to be human is to be made in the image of the creator God. That is what it means to be human. The creator God has come and dropped onto this planet to say you are human because of the image of God in you. And so particularly, let me talk to some young ladies in the room. As you continue to look in the mirror and see what you wish were different about how you looked, about how what you wish were different about the way your body looks or what your friends are telling you, I just want to tell you, that's not who you are. It's not who you are. Who do you think you are? Who you are is someone who's made in the image of God. Middle-aged men in the room, you know, who do you think you are? <laughs> who do you think you are? Do you think you're the, 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 uh, the fullness of your accomplishments at work? Like, do you think that's who you are? Do you think you're the one who's respected because you've been awesome at your job? Like, do you think that's who you are? Because that's not who you are. Who you are is you're someone who's made in the image of God. That's who you are. We are people who are made in God's image. That's our value. That's our starting point. That Christ came in that humanity, says this is what it means to be human, to rest in. God has made me and valued me for who I am. That's who you are. Who do you think you are? Secondly, I'll ask this question. How would you act if you believe God felt in his heart what you're going through. How would you act if you felt that God in his heart felt what you are going through? That may be a hard question to answer. It's a big question to ask. How would you act? I don't know how I would act. It's a good question. Um, here's what we know about sympathy. Okay? Sympathy creates confidence. 
when someone is sympathetic with you because you've gone through something, it actually creates confidence in you, which is why we reach out for sympathy. Even though we, don't want to, we say we don't want to give somebody sympathy, actually we, we do, that's not a bad thing in, in the original idea of the word. Sympathy means my heart feels you with your heart like I'm walking with you, okay? That's not a bad thing, right? So sympathy creates a confidence. When I share with you a struggle or pain I'm going through and you support that in me and your heart is tracking with me, that gives me confidence to say, man, I... I'm not out in left field. Like, I, I get it. I can track with that. And this is why in the very next verse in Hebrews chapter 4, the author writes this. And after he wrote about we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize, he goes on to write this. Let us then, in light of the sympathy of God that he relates to us, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That God becoming flesh through Christ gives us confidence to say this God sympathizes with us you feel the fear you feel the unknown you feel the tension you feel the struggle you feel the pain God through Christ has come boom right in the middle of that in his fullness of his humanity and says I can sympathize with that I can sympathize with that I feel that with you Therefore, I want to invite you to come to me with it. To find the mercy and grace that you want. Because my sympathy gives you confidence to approach me. Come. All ye. All of you. Who are weary and heavy laden. Come. Like, come. So I'll ask this final question. Do you know? Do you know this God? <laughs> Do you know this God? Who can take all of your filthy rags that you and I both have, you can put the righteousness of God over top of that undershirt, kind of like maybe this one, and you look at it and you're like, I see something different, but maybe there's an undershirt under there. I see something different about you, but maybe there's something in there behind that. Like, I see the righteousness of God through you. Like, I see that God has come. Do you know this God? Do you know this God who has come close at Christmas time? Or do you just know of him? Have you heard of him? But do you, do you know Jesus? Do you, do you know the work that he's done for you? Do you step into that space and be like, I need to raise my hand on this one. I'm not sure that when I look in the mirror that I see, that I see that I'm made in God's image. I'm not sure that I see that value. I see my struggles in the past and someone else's struggles in the past, but I'm not sure I see that. Do you know this God at Christmas time? This one who has come to step into the room, who much like the person that I saw across the room at Yellowstone and the people that you see when you meet them in different places, you're like, oh, I can relate to that one. And this is why Christ has come at Christmas time. This is why Christ has come in the incarnation. That we may look around the room and say, wait, I, I can relate to that one. He gets me. Jesus has stepped into our mess. And said, I'm here. I'm here to save and to offer help and hope for you. And so if you, at Christmas time, this season, if you don't know him, if you don't know who he is and you're not sure that you can relate, you can connect, I want to tell you, we want, at Grace Point Church, we say unapologetically, we, we want to develop fully devoted followers of Christ. We think your life will be better now and in the future if you know who Christ is. That's our cards on the table. We've always said that. We always will. That we think your future will be better if you know who he is. And that's our invitation to you at Christmas time. We want you to know him because we think that the work that he has done is profound for how we see ourselves and how we see the world around us and our futures. And so I want to invite you to know him, to see him, and to talk with any of the elders that you saw up here 
any of those name categories, remember where you are, or just myself or Pastor Kevin in the back. But listen, we want to have the conversation with you to help talk with you about who in the world this God is who has come to land right in the middle at Christmas time. Next week, we'll talk one more element about this passage. Looking forward to that with you. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to come together and be reminded of the incarnation of Christ that Jesus came to put on human flesh and to look and act like us and to, to be human. So we thank you that we have a God who we don't have to just worship from a distance, but who can up close do work in our heart and walk with us through that, who can sympathize with and feel that which we are going through. And so I pray that we would not distance ourselves from you and just see you as a creator God of the universe who is out there and bigger than and wiser than and stronger than. And while all of that is true, we also must recognize that you have chosen to be right here next to us, to take on the fullness of humanity, to give us hope for the future. So I pray for us this morning, if we're sitting here listening to this and we're trying to figure out if we believe this, if we know this Jesus or not, I pray that you'd give us the courage to step into that conversation, to move toward you and the hope that you offer, especially at this Christmas time, this season, that we could know the baby who was born on this earth, who grew to be the one who died to save this world from its sins. So we thank you. We thank you for your kindness, for your goodness, and your faithfulness and favor to us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.